The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny, Sestina, and company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. Joining me on today's show is Craig Konstantinovich. We are both certified financial planners and... Uh, emeritus certified financial planner, CRP, <laughs> John Sestina. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. The I'm maskless the, wonder. Yeah, I'm the maskless wonder. It's so I breathe now again. It's incredible. <laughs> it's I, I don't scare as many people <laughs> no, either. I don't know. I'm scared just looking at the beard, John. I, for so long, you always told me, hey, never grow a beard. You That's can't right. do it. And you can't do I, it. I started the clients. trend, and I'm glad I could get you to join me. Sure. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Even Stephen had a beard for a while. I did. Yeah, I tr- tried it out and quickly did not care See, for I it. knew if I wore a beard, I'd get you guys to be sensible. There we and go. And cut yours off. <laughs> uh, something like that. I think it's still around for the long haul. But I'm sure there's a lot of barbers that are very thankful that they've got the facial hair opportunities to oh, trim up. Oh, yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get the financial planning, not, not uh, well, it haircuts. It costs money with a beard, yeah. Stephen. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to talk financial planning. And in today's show, we're going to talk estate, estate taxes, estate tax proposal, what is an estate, all of the alphabet soup that comes with estate planning. And, John, we're going to tap into your years of wisdom. Uh, before we go into that, there was an article I read I thought would be uh, enlightening for the listeners because there's a topic we've talked about numerous, numerous times is home ownership. Mm-hmm. And Bankrate.com uh, came out with a little uh, survey, and it revealed that 64% of the millennials have regrets about buying their current home, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Craig, what was the number one reason? <laughs> um, the number one reason, or I guess 43% of people said they had at least one regret about their home, but the most common reason that people uh, regretted buying their home was not understanding the ongoing maintenance costs associated with the home. I'll be darned. You mean there are maintenance costs? You can't live anywhere for free, John. Right. Cicada removal. Okay. Right? (laughs) Who's going to pay for the removal of cicadas? the guys around my house this week working on it. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, enlightening. um, Not really surprising from our perspective because, again, that's the number one thing we always alert people to is the cost of ownership. There Mm -hmm. is a book, I think, that was written. Yeah, a couple uh, decades ago. Yeah. Somebody pointing out that a house is not an investment and it's because people understand underestimate da, 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 the cost, cost. Mm-hmm. Yep. so whatever asset that you have always be aware of the cost of ownership uh, and it really pertained to the Millennials which have been the Millennial generation has been driving this housing boom right right because they're coming into the housing ages right mm-hmm. age 25 to 40 time to buy start settling down buy that house and 64% of them said, you know what, I have some regrets. That's a large percentage. Absolutely. And again, it's not to be unexpected in some instances because whenever you're buying a house, especially something that's already been built, you usually have to make a compromise on one thing or another, whether that's, hey, this may be my starter home, something like that because it accommodates my lifestyle now, 
but I'll need to get a bigger house eventually as my family starts to grow or whatever the case may be. Um, or maybe it's not the right location. Maybe there's a job transition. Some kind of compromise has to come up in almost every instance here. But what people aren't realizing is not only the ongoing costs, but some of the uh, re reasons or rationale behind those costs, like the home renovations, like as I get to do this weekend, mulching and caring for the lawn that you may not have had before. Uh, there's those kind of things where if you go into it kind of blindly and you don't sit back to really think about what's going to be included there, you, you may miss out or you may have that regret compound and you may start to, you know, start to look at the next option, which could be more expensive depending on what time frame you're looking at or what you're looking in that next property. I don't know how people did it in the olden days, you know. My parents bought their house and lived in it. Astonishing, isn't it? Yep. Until after I was gone, they had that house. <laughs> so it's amazing. Today we got to have one, two, three, five houses, whatever the case may be, always because we're trying to upgrade, improve, make it nicer. We can't settle down. I think the average is seven houses in your lifetime now. Is and it? It is that high. I thought it was seven places that you lived, not necessarily seven houses. It, it may be equated to that. That okay. could be a possibility. But, yeah, so if you think it through, that's that's a lot. Oh, and that's yeah. a lot of moving. And I think this is going to be the number one challenge moving forward because everyone's paid such a large a number on this house. If you purchased a house in the last couple of years or in the last year or so, there's been a premium on that. That oh, yeah. number is inflated. You better plan to be able to live there for 10 years. Yep. Right? To to make sure you're settling in. And if, if immediately you're having regrets, I'm I'm concerned. Because right. then how do you, if interest rates start to rise, how do you get out of it? How do you sell it? Uh, people may be stuck. Um, and I think that's going to be the number one challenge to overcome. And the housing market is can people afford to live in the houses they bought? That's a big question because there's always so many hidden hidden expenses. I mean, like you're talking about mulch, that's that's a nothing, but it's right. really a cost, mm -hmm. let alone your time, so to speak. And so uh, I look at our house and just get it open every spring. Well, you know, we have to have the pump replaced. Then we had to have the, the uh, uh, what do you call it, irrigation system mm -hmm. replaced and so on and so forth. And that's only the second time since we've been in the house. So not bad, Craig. No, not at so, all. Not at all. And of course, we've been there 25 years. <laughs> so There you go. Every 12 and a half years, roughly. Right. But, and some but, of those may be optional repairs yeah. and others may be a necessity. If your leak starts, a roof starts to leak, um, <clears throat> things start to decay or, or erode, you're going to have to find the money to do it. And you may have it now, but will that money be there in a year or two? Right. right. You never have to repaint it either, do you, Steve? <laughs> no, that does not happen, right? <laughs> All those costs. So, you know, some of the other uh, regrets that are out there, uh, bought too small of a house, mm -hmm. right? Maybe the housing prices, so you just found one that you could afford and it ends up being too small, which... Um, okay, maybe it's the location. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe didn't get the best mortgage rate. Bought too big of a house, right? That's a bigger concern. That's a much bigger, yeah. Right? Uh, mortgage payment is too high. You overextended yourself. And then the other thing that I'm I'm thinking that's not even here is maybe it's considered cost of ownership is the taxes. Yeah. Yep. What happens now with all these valuations skyrocketing, the government's going to say, here's an opportunity to raise taxes uh, on the property value, they right? They wouldn't do that. Not at all, <laughs> right? That That's not a possibility. So, you know, the tax man may cometh in a year or two 
on these properties. Well, and the other factor to consider, too, is a lot, again, speaking here locally at least, a lot of the budgetary items were frozen this year. So now all of a sudden you get people that, you know, hey, you got your stimulus checks, you got your income, you may, were able to continue to work. Uh, now you're going to be looking at it, and a lot of school districts are going to be applying for some additional benefits to, you know, accommodate whatever the new education landscape is going to look like. Um, so there's going to be those kind of changes that come into play too. But Stephen, to your point here uh, a little bit ago about, you know, unforeseen expenses or things like that within the home, probably the most shocking thing to me and, and one of my friends that's a realtor and talking with him is that people were willing to put in offers on a home and forego the inspections. What? So you yeah. want to talk about having to have risk. a lot of risk and a lot of cash on hand because you never know what may or may not have been done, especially if it's an older home. There could be wiring that's not up to code, all those kind of things. So it can be very expensive to truly take over that ownership. Yeah, we, we, we've gone through a buying frenzy, and the, that frenzy still is in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, the contingencies are thrown out the window. Like you right. said, the contingency upon inspection is gone because people are outbidding, try just outbidding each other right. for this house. And that's where I get concerned is um, frivolous, right, or just uh, – it's, it's it's a craze at this point. Mm-hmm. It, it's really amazing. I mean, Bobby and I are looking for another house, and uh, we're afraid to put our house up for sale because it'll go quickly, I assume, because it's a nice house and so forth. But I was thinking as you were talking about seven houses, seven moves, mm-hmm. how much does it cost to move? Yeah. And, you know, the first house, you might do it with your buddies. The second time, they were, they caught on to you, so they're not going to help again. And you pay three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 to move, so seven houses— 20,000. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's about it. So, when we coming up on a break here and when we return, we're going to dig into estate planning and estate taxes and what you should consider. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. In today's show, we're going to start talking about the estate uh, your estate, estate taxes, what you can do to mitigate any estate taxes, and what is in the proposal that uh, President Biden has been preaching since he's been on the campaign trail. So we're going to dig into that. Before we get into your estate, we're going to, uh, Craig, you had a, found a little something on life insurance in regards to social media misinformation about oh, the yeah. COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, What's that so, about? Um, so there's been a lot of people out there, especially on social media, that have been posting about uh, the COVID-19 vaccine and how that could null and void your life insurance. Um, spokesperson or head of the American Commission for Life Insurance came out and said that that is a 100% farce, that that is not going to impact whether or not you pay out or receive the benefits from your life insurance policy. It's not going to impact taxability of it, anything like that. Uh, so not sure exactly how or where that rumor was started, but because of this vaccine, there is not going to be any adjustment to any kind of life insurance payouts. Um, so, again, educate yourselves. Continue to look in, into the news for other in, inputs and in-sources uh, of information. But 
Yeah, that is uh, 100% farcier. And as we talk about, may be very important and vital to your estate plan here moving forward. Well, you're telling me that social media had some false information. <laughs> you know, John, it's astonishing it to all of us. It does happen. It's amazing. I'm it so glad happen. I don't use it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So one thing that is is factual is estate taxes and estate planning. Um, we're here. We're going to dig into the numbers, but there's a lot of uh, reform that's on the table for the estate tax part of the stimulus package is, and I always say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Mm -hmm. Well, they, there is a proposal on the table on how the stimulus package is going to be paid for, and it is through other people's money. Yep. Uh, and they're going to come after it. And the biggest is going to be the estate tax. Uh, John, I, I, I know you always say, read up, educate yourself, the history of estate tax, even well before your time. Yes. Right. It goes way back even to the Roman times, uh, the concept of estate tax, and it usually has been around to fund wars. Well, that's why the U.S. had its first one. Mm -hmm. I think it was for the 1913 war <clears throat> to fund that, but they were going to discontinue it after the war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Well, it actually goes, I read, and it was even before that, it was uh, the French War. After the Revolutionary War, it was a form of estate tax. They called it a stamp tax. Um, it was a transfer of estate needed a stamp to transfer the estate and therefore you had to pay a tax on that for that stamp well, um, that's called the post office <laughs> right. no it's a little bit more complex than that uh but but again it was all about uh funding wars and having money to fund the wars uh even they did it for war of 1812 the civil war and then uh all of a sudden it really took shape in the late or mid post depression right so mid 1930s the estate tax jumped to 70% top top rate with an exemption uh the exemption amount was $40,000. Yep. So anything above $40,000 it was taxed at a 70% rate. Uh the top rate. That's pretty sizable. Uh that 70% stayed in play until the early 80s and then in the early 80s they they made made major cut John. They dropped it down to 65 percent isn't that great <laughs> right <laughs> wonderful i hope i had something to do with that <laughs> right, right, right. and even in today's time it's i think the top rate is 49 percent right is the current rate but the exemption amount <clears throat> is really the key number right it and sure is. craig the current exemption amount i'm gonna put you on the spot here uh, an estimate 11 million seven hundred thousand i believe is a, the rough number right per person per person. so each individual can die with a little over 11 million uh that does not get taxed and if you're married you have 22 million at your disposal. Um, so back even in the in the late 90s, that exemption amount was as low. Well, it was six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Right. So when I did a John, I pulled out my financial calculator and said, okay, if it was six hundred and seventy-five thousand, I did an inflationary rate of eight percent. Yeah. In today's time, that would equate to three point five million. So we're a little bit above with an inflationary <laughs> number of eight percent. Um, but here's here here's where we're at. What's on the table is very concerning. Well, what war just started, so we had to fund it. Yeah, well, it was the, the virus. I <laughs> <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> right? So I we mean, spent... that's been the excuse over the sure. years. Uh, right, right. The war has been the excuse. So now we're just raising taxes. Sure, right. You um, bet. And here we are. But but I'm just. I'm trying to think about the what's on the table and how this could impact people because um, there are tools and we're going to talk about these tools to reduce that estate tax, right. but mm -hmm. there is consequences behind that. And I'm more concerned about the consequences of making a decision 
to avoid the possible estate tax and what could happen. Because we, we saw it back in the late 90s. These tools were in place then. They sort of faded away, and now they're coming. Like the cicadas, here they are seven year, 17 years later, right, showing up again. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to dig into that. Uh, the number one thing I saw on the tax proposal is, and we talked about this, is the cost basis. Traditionally, there is a step up in cost basis. If you die, let's say you own a home, you bought that precious home for, let's say, 300000 and you're living in New York, and today it's worth a million, one point two, one point maybe $2 million. Now your family will owe tax on that house when that person dies. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? Right. That there would be tax on that stuff? Yeah. That's your personal home? And you have to pay the tax, you, not when you sell the asset, but when you inherit the asset. That's right. And that's, that's the surprise. And it's on the growth. It's not on the full Correct. $2 million, So right. but, it's only but, on $1.7 million. Right, right. Right. That's it. At forty. Eight forty nine. Let's call it fifty percent. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. do the math. So all of a sudden the family will have to come up with that money, and that applies to land. It applies to businesses, small businesses, even even investments, taxable yep. investments. So my concern is that they're going to impose this taxation, and then in, the people who inherit these family uh, heirlooms, family assets, these are gonna legacy have, tools, legacy tools are going to have to come up with the cash to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that could be devastating. That could be a real pressure. It's imagine owning a farm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a biggie. That's a biggie there, or a small business, and you built the business, and it's now worth two or three million dollars. You invested a hundred thousand to get it going. That that'll put a lot of pressure on the family, right? And even just to get a valuation on the business, mm -hmm. right? that's not cheap either, cost. right? No, that's, that's you're talking biggie. ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars just to get <laughs> a valuation on a business. And again, how are you going to pay for it? Mm -hmm. And people think that just because the value is there for the business, that the owner was making money hand over fist. That's right. not always true either, right? No, not right? at all. So not understanding business, not John. That goes back to your uh, uh, comments about politicians not understanding business to begin with. Uh, I think this is a very, very uh, touchy proposal, just that capital gains and step up in basis alone. Well, let's go all the way back, Stephen. I mean, uh, now that the wars are over, mm -hmm. we don't need to fund a war. We don't need the estate tax. I mean, you've earned the money. You paid the tax along the way, <clears throat> and now you're going to pay tax again when you die. So you can't, you can't – these tax things got to stop. Yeah. And actually, the reading up on the history of this estate tax, uh, during the Industrial Revolution, pre-industry, it was the, t the estate tax only applied to land and agriculture. And then the agricultural people will say, hey, but what about the people doing industry? They should be taxed too. Uh, so that argument did come into play with business ownership. Um, it it's, it's could be devastating, and I'm, I'm very concerned about what may happen to um, family assets and passing it down generation to generation. You're right. Yeah. I mean, like like we've always said, it's in this case, it may be ready, fire, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, fire with some of these estate tools that we're going to talk about here coming up. But definitely something to be mindful of and definitely time to dust off the uh, old estate plan here. Great. So when we come back, we're going to dig into the estate tools that can be at your disposal to avoid any estate tax. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.
Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan, certified financial planner. Joining me on today's show is fellow certified financial planner, Craig Konstantinovich, and alumni or emeritus CFP, John Sestina. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about John E. Sestina and company and the Managing to be Wealthy process, you can join, uh, visit us on the web at managingtobewealthy.com or give us a call at 614 614- Three two six three zero seven seven, estate tax. John, we're we're talking estate planning and estate tax. The estate tax is probably from a individual tax perspective, it's the heaviest tax out there. I can't well, think of anything true. else, right? Even right. the proposal of, um, I think it's forty percent. Uh, I'm not sure, Craig. You know the top rate that's on the table uh, right now. It's at forty percent, is what you were thinking of, Correct. There, Stephen. Um, I forget what they were saying, but I think it was closer to about 50% is what's being the top included rate. in the proposals. Right, Correct. it's going to be like 49.6% or whatnot, so we, we'll call it 50%, uh, but details do matter. Uh, John, uh, we talked about the exemption amount, but back when the exemption amount was 800000 900000 this was in your professional career lifetime. What yep. tools were at the disposal for the people who had the wealth? Well, the first thing was always the what's now called the Credit Shelter Trust. Everyone's used that back then, and they're using, using it now. So that's something you need an attorney to help you, <clears throat> and it may help you reduce the taxes. It'll certainly help you, under current law, manipulate the taxes, because uh, if you have an exemption and you give that to your spouse, then that you, you can give part of your exemption to your spouse, and then your spouse later can have much larger estate, pass away, still have no estate tax. Right, and that was one of the big changes a few years back is uh, you were not allowed to transport or transfer the exemption amount, so you had to use it at your demise. Right. Uh, So now you could literally have a surviving spouse with an exemption amount of $22 million. Right. Uh, The proposal that's on the table reduces that to $3.5 million per person or $7 million per couple. And a lot of people think, you know, immediately when they hear that number, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to be close. But again, with good planning, if you do things right, I mean, it, it, all you need is a couple million dollars worth of life insurance because you've got a young family, you've got your home, you're saving uh, diligently for retirement. It, it's not hard to get to that threshold there. Yeah, your 401k, your boat. Exactly. <laughs> all that other stuff adds up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so you mentioned the credit shelter trust. There's other trusts out there. They're called irrevocable trusts. Uh, the benefit of an irrevocable trust is it removes <laughs> the assets or asset from your estate. So it isn't a part of the exemption amount. That's right. It's like creating a new person. Right. You're cloning yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, you're cloning. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So you're getting some cicadas and cloning yourself. <laughs> so you cloned yourself and there's this like a business or some entity. And that will not be taxed because you don't own it. And therefore, when you die, they can't tax it. Right. So, and that's the benefit. It avoids the estate tax. But the negative is there's another kind of tax that is attached to it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And how they combated, they being our friends in government, uh, over the last 20 years, how they combated it is they changed the tax rates for a trust tax. (laughs) A trust does have its own tax uh, uh, code. Mm -hmm. And this trust tax code after the first $10,000 of income, I think $13,000 of income, it jumps up to 37%. Mm-hmm. So immediately, would you rather pay personal income tax 
at your rate or the trust income tax at 37%. Right. <laughs> well, but life insurance is a perfect asset for the uh, trust because there is no income. Right. And so you don't worry about current income tax. And when you pass, it passes estate tax free. Right. But it's cheap, too, when you're 65 years old and you have a wealthy estate. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who are you talking about, Steve? I don't, I don't know, right? So that's the challenge behind it. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have people trying to obtain life insurance to combat the potential estate tax. Mm -hmm. That's that's a very popular tool. You put it in an irrevocable life insurance trust. Uh, so, so the insurance industry is thrilled. They right? are. They like that. They love this proposal. And, and again, maybe taking a step back here. So revocable means that you can adjust, manipulate it, amend it during your lifetime. Irrevocable, basically, it, it's not this exact, but it's probably closer to it's etched in stone. Correct. This is a whole new person. This is a whole new entity that has their wishes outlined to get through and make any kind of amendments. It's next to impossible. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. You got to go through courts and have to have a, a valid uh argument behind it but basically it's it's irrevocable right. meaning it's irrevocable exactly right? so you cannot change it so, so that's the to your point right that's a great point is once that's done it's it's set so even right. from relationships mm -hmm. family relationships why who you're putting making the beneficiary those things cannot change because again you do not own it anymore you do not control it once right. it's signed and funded one of the important things in that trust is the beneficiary mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of them where they set it up and they say uh, to my, uh, they named the wife. Mm -hmm. Okay, then they divorce. And guess what? Guess what? You can't change it. <laughs> right. Yep. right. So I've seen that happen a few times. Mm -hmm. So be aware. You want to maybe say, my current wife. Yeah. <laughs> or my current husband. Words will matter. Mm -hmm. Words do matter. Yeah. Yep. And make sure you you understand too. If you are going to list children, you have a good idea on how they view money, how <clears> they manage money, those kind of things too. Especially getting it set up very young. You know, you probably want to be a little bit more direct with how the funds could be used, how they should be managed, those kind of things. Because, again, we, we've talked about the horror stories on previous shows, but once you give up that control, they can use it for whatever they deem appropriate. And, again, I can only imagine what, you know, 18, 21-year-old Craig would do with, you know, a million-dollar inheritance money. versus yeah. – you know, what I would do now with those kind of Completely things. Completely different mindset. And that's yep. exactly it, right? You've got to be careful on, on who's getting the money, when they may get it. I think the easiest solution to all this estate tax thing is just don't die. <laughs> that's the you one that, way John? to avoid you it. stick around forever oh, and always. No, please. But, but to that point, John, I saw plenty in my earlier days, I saw plenty of the second-to-die life insurance policies right. where a million dollars – back then was a lot of money right yep. it's not that much anymore right and, and relatively speaking um so what we do today may not even be on the table 10 years from now right. it may not be necessary so a lot of unnecessary uh contingencies were put into play in the late late 90s that became outdated unnecessary and i want to say wasteful but it ended up being wasteful yeah yeah don't get too crazy in your creative planning yeah, proceed with caution, Amen. right? And that's yep. why I joke saying, just don't die. And that's what I'm telling people right now. <laughs> how, do, how do we avoid this? I'm like, don't die and you'll be okay, mm -hmm. right? But we can't control that, obviously. Um, so there will be some kind of planning in play for the estate. I just texted the funeral guy 
Okay. That I'm not going to die. So oh, we're good. good. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad he knows. That he's aware. So you have that direct line with, uh, <laughs> with the big the, guy upstairs. Oh, well, that too. <laughs> I copied him in. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. Good. And then, um, John, something about uh, family partnerships is another tool. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so let's let's dig into that little uh, grunt there. What, what's the concern? Well, a family partnership is in a way like this uh, irrevocable trust. You've set something up, it's a separate entity, it exists in its own, has its own tax return, and so on and so forth. So typically there is a general partner, that's the one who has all the say-so, and then there are limited partners, that would be a family partnership. You don't want it to be a straight partnership where everyone has, say, one-third interest, because that's gonna have war. How many families have we seen go through? Right. Go go through left like a you know a home or a boat or whatever land family yep. land land right right all How this do you, do some want to divide the land others want to keep it so yep. these are all considerations well we're coming up here on a break we're going to continue this conversation about estate planning and estate taxes you're listening to managing to be wealthy on news radio six ten WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. In today's show, we're talking estate taxes, uh, how to prepare your estate for the potential tax law change and it's a doozy. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, there, there are tools out there. We talked about irrevocable trusts, talked about life insurance or diff- different types of life insurance that can help the industry. So, Craig, what would you advise somebody if they want to get something set up? Who do they talk to? Number one, a good estate attorney. You want to start off with the estate attorney. This is what they eat, <clears throat> uh, sleep, and breathe every single day. There's a lot of other attorneys like criminal defense attorneys, those kind of things where they may do this on the side. But if they're not staying ingrained and entrenched in this every single day, aware of what's going on, there is a good opportunity that they're going to miss something. Yeah, this is one of the biggest errors people make. Their friend is a lawyer, their brother's a lawyer. And so they just go, I'll just go to my brother and he'll do it for me. Well, Mm -hmm. he may be good at real estate, but he may not be as good at uh, this sort of thing. Please be aware that you have to have a specialist. Absolutely. Right. And that's what a good financial planner will do is bring in the specialist. You bet. Uh, any other advisor for this estate uh, review? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if needed, you can always contact a life insurance agent, figure out what the right insurance plan may be. But I think the one that you're hinting at the most here, Stephen, is going to be a good uh, tax accountant or a good estate tax accountant. Um, those are two relatively synonymous usually you can get away with it but there are some people who specialize in strictly managing estate taxes and if you're talking about setting up that irrevocable life insurance trust or any kind of irrevocable trust now all of a sudden you've got tax rates that are aware you want to be certain that you've got someone that understands well what's good what's bad how do i need to file this what adjustments need to be made everything else because it can be one big doozy if you have a tax bill that goes unpaid especially with these uh, trust uh, tax returns. Well, I might interject one other advisor to kind of head the team. Uh, Are are you talking about a a 
certified financial planner. There you by go. Oh, yeah. somebody, somebody like that, you know, who's trained in the overall, not the specifics, mm-hmm. not the details, not the he's not the lawyer, she's not the lawyer. So someone who is can look at your whole picture and be aware of the family situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the psychological of this is a big deal. It's very helpful if you have a meaningful estate or some assets that are personal, so to speak, like a cabin or whatever, that you sit down with your family and explain what you're doing. And understand. Understand what it may look like 20 years from now. That's right. uh, John, to your point, like you may have a good insurance agent, Mm -hmm. may have a good estate planning attorney. So the insurance agent sells you the life insurance. Yep. The estate planning attorney puts together the irrevocable life insurance trust. (laughs) There's one problem behind it. The insurance policy needs to be owned by Mm -hmm. the trust. The beneficiary needs to be the trust. And the premiums need to be paid by the trust. Oh, and don't forget, you have to have the crummy letters prepared to go with it to know when the premiums are paid, when the beneficiaries could access funds, but then they choose not to to pay for the life insurance policy. Sounds confusing, right? Because yeah. it is. <laughs> right? So those, it's, Especially it's, with that name, Crummy. Crummy, right? A, that, was, that was a person. It was actually a person. <laughs> right? Not a cake. Right? There we go. Yeah. And, and, and so the coordination is so, so critical in all of this. So making sure you have a team of advisors. And to this point, that you, it's going to take resources to pay the advisors to put this plan mm-hmm. into play. Uh, it, it, this is a big deal coming up. And I think the number one thing is uh, we're going to see a swarm of sales techniques coming out you need this you need that you may you may Mm -hmm. not you need to make sure you're doing it the right way and taking the right steps to implement a strategy to minimize any estate tax well and and to that point too steven again i know we just we're, we're building this entire show around the tax side of things but first things first you always need to make sure that your wishes are properly outlined i understand hey sometimes there is that pay to play tax and this is one of those more egregious situations but you know, at the end of the day, if, if your wishes are to continue to spend your assets, to live your lifestyle, to not overcomplicate things, and you want to keep an estate plan relatively straightforward, well, then maybe you don't need to do all of these things. But this is merely the idea of, okay, I've got my plan in place. I can accomplish my goals, my wishes with my estate plan the way that it is. And now that third layer is I want to reduce the tax bill that I'm going to owe. That's where this all starts to come into play. Indeed. I have a friend who said, Always give with a warm hand. There you go. You know, and all this stuff we're talking about is a cold hand. So it don't overlook a gifting part of this program. You mm-hmm. might have some strategic gifts you can do along the way. You don't need to have a trust for it, and you can save some grief. And that's and that's again right. The annual gift exclusion is fifteen thousand dollars a year. I read in the proposal they're reducing it to ten thousand. They're squeezing. They add the government. This bill is squeezing the life out of every potential dollar out of the, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so reducing the annual gift exclusion down to ten thousand, right, limits the amount. Uh, some of the other things I've seen is the proposal will be retroactive to yeah, April. That's yeah. right. Right. So all of a sudden, its date of death is critical too. Um, there's just a, again, it's a, it's it's a war on on wealth. Uh, what we're seeing with this proposal that's in in play here. Well, it's not just wealth. So much of this is going to affect, guess who, the middle class. Mm-hmm. Right. These numbers may sound large to you, but as uh, Craig pointed out earlier, you, the assets you own, look at the real estate, for example, we're talking mm-hmm. about. It's been booming, and so you pass, and your home is worth a whole lot more than you thought it was. And so many other assets you have, you don't even think about everything you own. 
So this is going to put a squeeze on the middle class. Yeah. Plus inflation. We're yep. now entering inflation big time. This year, four plus percent so far, and there'll be more. So all of a sudden, yes, your home's going to appreciate. Your portfolio may appreciate. We don't know. But uh, there's going to be other things you're going to appreciate. Increase your wealth to where all of a sudden you're the wealthy guy. Right. And and this this war on wealth that I've, I've uh, proclaimed here is goes back even a couple years ago with how – IRAs and 401ks are transferred to a non-spouse. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden it has to be distributed over 10 years. Right. That's that's going to kill if you have a working income and then you have added income from an IRA or 401k distribution that you may have inherited from a parent. Mm-hmm. Again, you're all immediately in a higher tax rate. Uh, government's going to take take their share. Uh, so you got to be aware of what's out there. Wait a minute. What do you mean their share? Their proclaimed share. Oh, well. As I proclaimed a war on wealth. Is that why they, that's why they wanted us to wear masks? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So we could tell who they really were? Right. Okay. Right. So, so Craig, we're going to go back to your earlier point about everything else in, in the estate plan. Right. right. The will, living will. You're going to need a good attorney to review those uh, documents. Right. And at this point, too, I mean, again, you know, COVID, you, you definitely realize where certain people's um, you know, intentions can lie, how they managed through it, those kind of things. Again, some of it may have been out of their control, but certainly you want to make sure that you've got those uh, points of authority reviewed and you have the right people in place. So, you know, if you've got young children right now and you've got a family member that you had appointed trustee in the past, but, you know, let's say that they maybe didn't make the most financially savvy moves in the midst of this, maybe you should change that. Maybe you should incorporate someone else, a different family member, possibly a bank. There's so many things that you can consider right now, um, but this is going to make people review their estate plans, and that should be another thing you review, not just what documents do I have, but who do I have involved in it? Well, and that's the greatest hand that the financial planner has, mm-hmm. pulling this all together, dealing with the family, the psychology, the health issues. You know, as you get older, believe it or not, your health starts to deteriorate, and as a result of that, you may lose your ability to manage your own money. Yeah, absolutely. So now then what? Yeah, lots of things to consider. I'm sure we're going to talk more on this topic in the coming months. Uh, Share the podcast and uh, information about Managing to be Wealthy with your friends. You can tell your Alexa, play Managing to be Wealthy podcast. It will happen. Uh, Well, thank you for tuning in and listening. You've been listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.